Hello and welcome to DIY Data 5. I'm your host Michael Yerg. Today is November 11th, 2020 and this is episode 11, Tool Creep and Teaching Respect. In today's episode, I'm going to address what I feel is something every DIYer deals with once in a while and that is the question, why do I have this tool? Or the conundrum, should I even buy the tool to begin with? And then I'm going to get into the complicated weeds of how we in the DIY Data 5 home have been trying to teach our kids to respect not only themselves, but also us as their parents and everyone around them, adults and children alike, regardless of who they are. So let's get into it. But the very first thing I want to do is being today, Tuesday, November 11th, I want to say thank you to all my fellow veterans and service members today on Veterans Day. Um, 19, 20 years ago, actually, I joined the military myself and it was a wonderful 15-year-plus journey. Um, this year would have will mark my five years of post-service. It was a wonderful experience. I learned a lot. There was both goods and bads, as I'm sure every other service member will tell you. But I am most sure that we will all, all tell you that is an experience that is like none other. And I just want to take this time personally myself to say thank you to all the other veterans out there. I'm glad to have served with those I served with and to call you all my brothers and sisters in arms. So thank you for your service from the bottom of my heart. So moving on to the DIY side of the podcast, let's get into tool creep. Now I'm not talking about the guy who's lurking around the corners at Home Depot or Lowe's that just wants to stare at you as you're trying to pick out your next new hammer. I'm talking about what happens when all of a sudden you find you have tools that you use for one project and you'll probably never use again, or you find you have multiple of literally the exact same tool. Maybe you have five of the exact same screwdriver, or you have three, um, you know, uh, caulk guns or seven uh, razor blade uh holders you know you just have these tools that for some reason you've bought multiple over the years and they've just piled up but you have them all over the place and you realize you've just accumulated these tools that you don't really need or you don't need as many of them that you have um, you could have seven or eight different hammers they might look a little different but overall do you need five claw hammers or do you need all of the um, ballpoint uh, pin hammers or whatever so this is really what we refer to as tool creep. Um, again, it's getting a lot of tools that either you used once and you thought you needed it um, for that project and you just bought it out straight straight out or you got the tool and now you have it, but you've never used it again. It's just been sitting there forever and you're never going to use it again. Or somehow you've just accumulated these, these uh, repetitive tools and you really only need one and maybe even a backup one, but you don't need five, six or more. Um, so this is what we refer to as tool creep. So first I want to talk about the simple things of how does this happen? Well, uh, one of the first things is a poor inventory of your tools. Uh, so this is going to talk more of how you can start getting, you know, five or six of the same kinds of things. Um, and we'll talk, you know, simple things like screwdrivers. You know, generally, yes, there's multiple kinds of, we'll say, a Phillips screwdriver or a flathead, uh, a regular screwdriver. And, you know, you might need different lengths or, or different things like that. But after a while, there's only so many kinds that you may need. So you might need a better inventory of what you have before you go out and buy. So, you know, I'm not talking having a spreadsheet, but you might want to make sure you actually know what you have before you go out and buy it. So that's one of the problems. You, you don't have an inventory. We're just talking about how does this happen. Another thing is a poor judgment of what we need. So when it comes to what we need in our house all the time, there's this idea that no matter what, if I need it once, I'm always going to need it. And that's definitely not true. If you're doing a project, yes, there's a lot of tools that you may use often, like a box cutter or uh, sanding sanding equipment or uh, painting equipment, stuff like that. But sometimes there are these specialty tools that you may only use once and you have to learn how to uh, decipher those kinds of differences of the, do I need it more than once? Am I going to use it a lot um, more often 
to the point where I should own this kind of tool. So this is a judgment of a need versus a, uh, you know, uh, I need this tool more regularly versus just this one project, or maybe, you know, I might need it again in like three, four, five years versus, you know, on a regular basis. Also an unwillingness to borrow or rent. There are some people who just feel like, I just want my tool. I don't want to have to go through the hassle of renting a tool when if I just own it, I just own it and I don't have to ever worry about um, borrowing a, a tool from a friend or renting it from a, a rental tool place or a store that sells it that might rent it because, I mean, heck, some places rent them for free. It doesn't matter. Uh, but some people are just straight unwilling to do it. And that's another one of the factors. And then another one, which is a uh, a common issue, is uh, some people tend to be a tool dumping ground. Um, so as we get older, we tend to have uh, an older generation above us, um, uncles, fathers, grandfathers, that will pass away and they will leave their tools to us. Um, this happens generally more to men, uh, can happen with women also, but we end up becoming the heirs of tools. This is a great thing. Uh, we tend to love this kind of thing. But not only now do we have our tools, but we have our father's tools, our father's father's tools, our father's 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 tools, and us as the recipients and the person before us and the person before them, we tend to have a hard time of separating the emotion of having tools from our family member versus the what do I still really need from this and, you know, maybe keeping what is usable still, obviously, something that might be sentimental um, that we may want to keep and versus our own stuff as well. You know, maybe get rid of some of our stuff uh, that would be of like kind, you know, so we can become. And also, if we have friends that they just don't need their stuff anymore and they're moving off, maybe they dump it on us as well. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be that sentimental kind of tool dumping around. It could also be the. Um, you know, the friends that just don't need something, they're like, here, I'm leaving, you take this. Um, or if you leave a, if, if a company shuts down, you know, and you're going shopping, you might see this big deal on something you only want in one thing, but all of a sudden you're getting this huge bulk box of tools and you only want one thing in it. It's kind of the same idea or an auction. You know, I know, I know people who go to auctions, they want one thing in a box and all of a sudden they got this huge box and it could have a lot of things in it. Um, and so it's kind of the same idea as a, as a dumping ground. And you just accumulate a lot of the stuff and you don't pare down and get rid of all the extra stuff. So these are a lot of the things that can lead to tool creep. So how do we avoid tool creep? Um, there's a couple ways of doing this, and I'm sure there's other ways. So feel free if you've had a, a technique, you know, feel free to um, drop me a line and, and I can share it out with the the group on another day or another way. But these are some of the ways that I've found help me. <clears throat> First, have a designated tool area. That doesn't mean you always have to keep all your tools in this area. Obviously, sometimes you might want to have uh, some tools in your car that would be specific to a certain task. Or like me, I have a toolbox for a specific kind of job um, that I might do, and I keep that in my garage. Um, but again, this is have a designated tool area so you know what you have. So even that one toolbox that's for a specific job, um, so it's a, it's a mechanical toolbox that generally has the tools I need for that kind of work, that's the first place I go to say, do I have this tool? That helps with organization, inventory, and need for a specific kind of job. Um, also, I'm lucky enough with in my house, I have an area... Um, in my basement where I can keep pretty much all my other tools. Um, I have a, a larger tool set due to previous job experience where I had to purchase a lot of tools. So I'm able to store those there and a lot of all my other tools that I've uh, gathered over the years due to uh, different projects um, and just a lot of housework and stuff like that that I do um, that I have had to get um, because I do so much of it now that I do try and keep it all there as well. And let me tell you, when I don't try and keep all my tools there, I tend to either misplace them or I can't find them. And there's been times where I've had to go out and buy something because I cannot find um, like that one good box cutter I had. I would buy, I'd have to buy another one because I can't find it. Um, two, three months later, boom, I found it. It was in a box somewhere in my garage, tucked somewhere else because it got put there. 
but eventually I did find it. And now I got tool creep. I have more box cutters than I need. So, you know, it even happens to the best of us uh, when we try and do the right thing. Um, so that moves into the next one. Keep your stuff organized. Even though you have a designated place, if you're not using it, if you're not keeping it organized, you don't know what you have. You know, even though you have a place to put it, if that place is just a box and you just throw everything in that box, you really don't know what's in it. So you want to try and keep your designated tool area somewhat organized. Um, again, it could be, you know, say you got an area where you keep your laundry, um, where you do your laundry. If you have a tool box that you can keep in there with, you, you know, your basic tools, you know, try and keep it organized. Um, so it's just a way to make sure you can go in there, simply look and just know what you have before you start a project. You can say, do I have what I need? Do I need to get anything else? Also, you need to understand the nature of the tool before you buy it or on whether or not you should keep it. You know, some tools are very simple, obviously, you know, screwdrivers are simple, hammers are simple, you know, how often or how regular are you going to use the kind of tool? How universal is the tool? You know, that's something you need to know. When it gets to a more specialized tool, you need to understand what kind of projects would I be using this tool for? Like, is this a highly specialized mechanical tool for like working on cars? Do I see myself working on cars very often? If not, maybe you can get rid of it. Um, you know, if it's just something that you've accumulated because somebody gave it to you with a pile of tools and you have no idea what that tool is for, you might need to do a little research. So understanding what the tool is for, what other kinds of projects it can be used for, what other purposes it can be used for is definitely important before um, either purchasing the tool or deciding if you're going to keep the tool um, if you've come into it another way. Um, so make sure you understand that. Um, before you purchase the tool or get it or keep it. Also, if you're one of those people that tend to be unwilling to um, borrow or or rent tools, it's usually because of the whole stigma behind rental or borrowing that, you know, as a guy, we should own every tool and we shouldn't have to rent it or borrow it. It's like, oh yeah, I got that. Oh yeah, I've got that. So if somebody asks you, you can be like, oh yeah, I got that. Um, it's really not actually a bad thing to rent certain tools because let's let's be honest a lot of tools that aren't used very often are pretty expensive actually and if they break they're ridiculous to get fixed and almost just as expensive to just replace so for a tool that you would only use once maybe twice in your life for a job you'd be better off probably just renting it um, there's some tools that I um, do have that I've used more than once and I've planned to use more than once, but the only reason why I ended up buying them is because I was able to get a good deal on them and I know, knew I was going to use them, but then I, I was actually pretty sure that A, they weren't going to break very easily and if they broke, I could fix them myself with some basic parts. But I knew generally it was something that most people should probably rent. So that doesn't mean if I didn't feel comfortable in the fixing process or I wasn't going to use them very often, it shouldn't have been rented. So there's a lot of people I know that if they're going to do the same kind of project and they're only going to do it once, I'm still going to recommend that they, they rent the, the actual product. There's, there's tools out there that are great tools. Um, I'll give you an example. If somebody is going to be um, doing a big painting project, um, we'll say outdoors, an outdoor painting project, I'm actually going to recommend if they can and they're comfortable doing it to use a spray painter, um, so an, an aerosol-based painting system. But in general, I'm not going to recommend that they buy it because they they're they're very a good one's very expensive. And the likelihood of using it more than once outside and the, the uh, cost to maintain it and to repair it if it breaks or the cost to replace it if it breaks, it's just not feasible. Um, and then the, the cheap versions just don't do a good job. So I wouldn't recommend buying a cheap version of that because you might not even get through your whole job if you're doing a larger job like a big fence or, or something like that. And they are usually not as universal as some of the bigger ones. 
Um, so if you're not a professional and you're not buying a professional one that you're going to be doing often, you probably don't want to be buying uh, a you know an air-based spray painting system. So that would be a type of tool you would want to rent um, if you're not a professional, obviously using them more often. Um, and then if you're doing it inside, I would usually recommend somebody use a roller because usually those kinds of uh, apparatus take a lot of setup if you're doing the spray version on the inside. And a lot of people, if they're not professionals, don't do that right and it could really mess up the house. So I would say use a you know a power roller on the inside. And those are usually cheap enough where you can buy. And a lot of people paint inside houses enough that that might be with something you would buy permanently to have. And then you'd maybe even let friends or family use that because you can get those for you know 90 to 100 bucks uh, and get a good one. I personally bought one of those, but I wouldn't buy the professional or uh, rental style sprayer. So another thing is also be willing to give these tools away. Um, so if you find yourself um, getting into tool creep and you all of a sudden have a bunch of the same thing and you know you know somebody or you know, somebody's getting a little older and, and maybe moving out on their own, you know, say, hey, I got some extra tools. I don't need them because I got extra ones of them. Would you like any of them? It, it doesn't hurt to just give some away. Or if you know a school that might need some extra tools because they have so many students that are coming in, you know, feel free to give them away. There's no reason that just because you have them, you have to keep them. So, you know, get comfortable with the idea of you can help people out because, you know, sometimes, yes, you bought them. Yes, you spent some money on them, but you're not really using them. They're just wasting space in your house. Uh, you, can, you can give them away. You can give them to friends. You can give them to family. You know, you, you know, a new couple, you know, don't give it to them like they're, it's a wedding gift that they just got married or something or you know, graduation gifts and somebody's moving out of their parents' house, but just say, hey, you know, before you go out and buy, you know, those basic tools that you might need for, for working on something, you know, I got some extra stuff. If you want to swing by, I, I can lay some stuff out and you can pick some things you might need for your house. Um, those kind of things. You know, I, I know I've, I've done it with some family. Uh, when I've had found I've had, you know, four of the same craftsman, literally the same numbered craftsman screwdriver, how I came up with that many uh, of the same screwdriver, I you know I think it was you know I got some from one set and somebody gifted me another set and then I had to buy something and I didn't realize I already had the screwdriver so I picked up another one and next thing I knew I had four of three different screwdrivers. So what I did is I I took a set and I and I gave it away to some family members, um, and so that started them on their first tool set. So and, and I've done it with other things too like that you know fishing gear and, and things like that. So those are some of the ways you can avoid tool creep. Um, you know, have a designated tool area, keep them actually organized. Because again, even though you have an area, if you just throw it all in a box, it doesn't help you. Understand the nature of the tool. So that's going to help you decide whether or not you should even keep the tool for a long period of time. If you, if you know you're only going to use it for one project, maybe you should just get rid of it. Uh, maybe try and sell it if it's a, a more uh, expensive type of tool. Um, or maybe you shouldn't buy the tool to begin with. You should look into renting it. Try and get over the stigma of rentals or borrowing tools from friends. You know, if you can get used to that idea of I don't need to actually own every tool that I might need, um, that will help build that whole DIY community mindset too. And also, if you do find yourself falling into tool creep where you're uh, accumulating a lot of extra tools or multiples and tools, you know, be willing to uh, give some of them away to people who may need them. Uh, going forward, you know, uh, young again, younger couples, uh, people moving out on their own, that kind of thing. Okay, so now I'm moving on to the fun part of what I consider parenting again. And this is another teaching area of life because with kids, we're always trying to teach them something. And I know I've touched on this whole respect item before. And so I want to come back a little bit and dive even deeper into it um, because it is something that comes up regularly in our household. And so I definitely wanted to touch on it uh, more extensively, more deeper. And this is the teaching respect. Um, so respect obviously is very important. It's, it's what really keeps the uh, society working. If you don't respect each other, 
Um, you're not going to listen to each other. You're not going to be able to come to compromises with each other. You're not going to be able to have conversations with each other. Um, and it, it's really the the glue that keeps society focused. It's the glue that keeps society um, from tearing itself apart. And if we can't teach our children how to obviously respect their parents and respect their elders, but also respect each other because eventually they're going to become adults and they have to respect their peers, then we're going to be raising very self-centered people that are not going to be able to function as adults. And they're going to go out into the world and, and they're going to have a hard time keeping jobs. They're going to have a hard time maintaining relationships. They're going to have a hard time really being successful in anything they do because they're going to wonder why nobody wants to be around them. They're going to wonder why um, they get into lots of fights or arguments and, and such. So one of the key things that we try and teach our children is how to be respectful. Um, and, I, and a big portion of that is also how to respect themselves. Um, Self-respect is key and also respecting others. Because if they don't respect themselves, they, they're not going to expect respect from others. And that's, that's the other half, half of respecting people is expecting them to respect you. Um, because it, it is a balance. You know, yes, you want to treat others a certain way, uh, but you should also expect them to treat you the same way. And then if they don't, then you, you have to remove yourself from that situation and, and you have to do certain things um, to protect yourself from that type of relationship. And that's part of this um, interaction, interaction teaching that we, we have to um, give them about respect. So first, I, I want to clarify that children are naturally going to push back and that that is not disrespect. This is a natural part of childhood development. Um, but not obeying when being told to do something and using your manners is. Um, there, this is a fine line. It's our job as parents to navigate the gray area with each of our children. Um, so, you know, it is natural for our children as they get older. You know, when they're younger, it's, it's yes, mommy, no mommy, yes, daddy, no daddy. But as soon as they start developing a personality, basically as soon as they learn the word no, um, they start to use it. And as they get older and they become more mature, um, and or as they think they're becoming more mature, they start to push the boundary of no. They start pushing the boundary of what can I do at this age? What can I do on my own? What will mommy and daddy allow for a type of behavior? And it's always going to be the negative that's going to be the pushing. Because if it's not negative, it's not pushing. So we have to understand that this push is not disrespect. This push is a learning mechanism for children to see what are the boundaries of this household. And it's that pushing and then our reaction that they're learning from. And this is really how, where they learn. What are, what's acceptable in the society that they're a part of. Because mom and dad and the people that they typically interact with as adults, we are a part of the society that they're getting ready to join. So as long as they're around adults that are properly trained adults for the society that they're going to join, they will learn, hopefully and naturally, what's acceptable behavior in that society that they're going to join. Now, as our parent, as the parents of of children, it's our jobs to, to really be the advocates of that training. And so we have to make sure that we're um, trying to make sure that that training is as beneficial as possible and uh, as painless as possible for us, obviously, because, you know, we don't want our children to go off the deep end and, and if they're, if they're not getting the right cues and and they're not getting the right training because they might not have the right interaction beyond our household. Um, and we also want to make sure that what we're training them is proper and, and right. And we also want to make sure that they're learning proper respect. 
So, and they're going to push. And if we don't respond properly, they're going to push harder and harder. And they're going to go farther and farther until we push back. And we have to make sure we're doing that appropriately. So let's talk about how do we define um, the disrespect and, uh, and where this is versus the natural pushback behavior. So first we need to understand our child's normal behavior. Okay, and this requires regular interaction and understanding um, how they respond in similar, similar situations. Uh, and so I wanna point out that dad or mom might not be the right parent to judge respectful behavior or not. Um, so to clarify, this requires time with the child. So in my house, a uh, simple answer for this is, I'm generally not the right person to ask this question. Granted, I spend um, time with my children, but I work um, generally Monday through Friday during the day. So I'm not spending as much time with my children as my wife. She is the stay-at-home mom. She homeschools them. She spends enormous amount more time with our children than me. She sees all of their interactions with each other. She has more interactions with them on gen in general. So for the most part, she has lead on what is considered normal behavior for them. So I have to go to her if I want to get a full in-depth analysis or data input, if, if you want to put it that way, on what is considered a typical day for each of our children. Now, that doesn't mean once I have that information, I can't start to analyze it with her um, and game plan what is considered normal, but I should be talking to her to get that information. I shouldn't just be relying on my sole interactions with them from at the end of work till when they go to bed, because that's about a three to maybe four hour window, whereas she literally spends 10 plus hours with them during the day. And so it's a very, very different set of information. And it can go the other way. You know, if, if dad's a stay-at-home dad, they're the one who is going to have the most information. But it could also be both, because if both parents are working, both parents will generally have about the same amount of interaction with the child. When, you know, when they get home, they're both spending the, seeing the child in their, their normal environment. Um, and they may get the same kind of input from maybe a daycare worker or a teacher or something like that. So they, uh, the parents might have to talk to um, somebody outside the home to see what is the normal behavior for the child when it comes to respect versus disrespect and how they handle certain situations. Um, so it may not be a parent. Uh, it might have to be somebody outside the whole home. But you also have to understand, too, children will, under, will react differently to the parents than they will other adult authority types. So you do have to make sure you uh, understand that when you're getting that information from somebody outside of the home, that they will have a different perspective due to the non-parental relationship. Uh, even though it is authoritative, it's non-parental. So we have to understand who the child is in their normal behavior first. And then second, try not to let uh, your, reaction, your reaction taint the situation. Um, so just like an adult, kids will naturally react to your personality and, um, and our responses. Um, so remember, but also we have to remember that their brains are not fully capable of controlling those responses. So, you know, two adults can be having a conversation, but if one of them starts getting heated, the other one wants to respond in kind. But as an adult, we have a more developed brain, a fully developed brain that may stop us from doing that because we have more self-control. Children don't have that yet. So if a child starts seeing an adult, especially a parental adult, start getting upset, they're going to get upset. They're going to react negatively way more often and way, uh, just way more because their brain is not developed to the point where they can control those negative counter reactions. Um, so that's one thing we need to understand about our children as well, so that we understand that that's normal behavior. Okay, 
So first we need to understand what is their normal behavior when they're in similar situations. So if it's, you know, when we're looking at a specific situation, we have to say, well, how do they act in this similar situation before? Okay, so right now I feel like they're being disrespectful. This is what's going on. How have they ha acted before in this similar situation? Also, this is what's going on right now, and they're reacting this way. How am I acting? Could this be uh, leading to also how they're acting right now? Because if you're acting in an upset or a tone-based manner, it's going to make it very difficult for them to not react against that. Um, because just like an adult, they're going to want to put up their defenses. They're going to want to push back. But that's because it's a natural self-defense mechanism um, for any human being to do that. But for a child with an, a not-so-developed um, part of their brains to be able to control that response, it's just going to overwhelm them. So that's two things we need to first um, determine on if this is a normal behavior versus disrespect. Okay. So now if we've understood that, okay, this isn't their normal behavior. All right. So we're not saying this. Is, so we're saying this isn't their normal behavior. They don't normally act like this. And I'm acting very calm. I'm being very collective with them and they're still giving me attitude or, or they're still disobeying me then we could probably say this is a disrespect kind of thing, all right? And again, you, you're probably going to need to work with somebody else on this sometimes if you have that benefit. Because sometimes you're not even sure about how you're feeling about certain situations, especially um, when you may be a part of the disrespect. Uh, you know, it can, it can affect us. Um, next, you want to make sure you separate the behavior from the action that may be mixed in. So, um, say they did something, and then that something is also lead is also mixed in with the way they're acting. So maybe they hit somebody, or they broke something, or you know some action happened, and now there's an interaction between you and the child, or that child and somebody else, and you feel that interaction is being very disrespectful. Okay, so the, the words going on between the people are a disrespectful interaction. You want to make sure that when you're trying to deal with the situation and deal with the interaction, you want to deal with the situation, yes, on what happened, but then you also want to deal with the interaction and the disrespect going on as two separate things. Because... They are. They're, they're, they're two separate things. What they did could be wrong, and you got to talk about that. But also how they treated the person is wrong, and you got to treat that separately as well. And, and make sure they understand that a disrespect and, and the lack of, of caring in that way is, is something that is separate from the what they did. Um, it might be similar in, in why they did it or how they did it or, or what you're talking about, but it is a different issue in itself. One's, um, one's a physical action, one's an emotional action, because you can be disrespectful and not hurt somebody. You can hurt somebody, but not be disrespectful. Um, an example is we've, we've had issues with our daughters where one will hurt the other one, and it could be completely by accident, but and have two choices. She could either immediately say sorry and try and make sure she's okay, which is what you would think, is especially if it's by accident. Or she could be like, what's wrong with you? Why are you crying? You shouldn't be crying. That's being disrespectful of the situation. It's like, well, whether or not you did it on purpose, you should still see if they're okay. Um, so again, that's the idea of not mixing the action or the what happened with the response or the interaction that happens after. Um, so again, sometimes you, you should not be mixing those two uh, events. Uh, again, the physical action that happened versus the interaction that happens after. Uh, and you got to treat those two separate things separately. Um, next, um, when, it be, when it comes to all of that, you want to make sure that you're, you're teaching the kid uh, when you're when you're trying to identify it, 
that you're you're being fair to the child. You know, you don't always want to um, expect the child to be perfect when it comes to respect, because yes, you know, a, as an adult, you know, they, they should be respecting you for who you are. Um, they should be listening to you for who you are. Um, but you have to also understand they are a child and they are learning. So as you're going through and you're trying to understand who they are, um, again, it goes back to, is this normal behavior? Um, is this a learning, them trying to learn? Um, or are they actually doing it on purpose? And that's the heart of the matter. So that's the next thing you need to try and understand is, is this the heart of the child? And that's what you need to understand too. Um, so you need to know your child's heart and is, are they naturally somebody who's disrespectful? And trying to keep that in mind will help you stay on track when trying to teach your child respect. So here's some of the things uh, for the different ages we've been experiencing with our children specifically. Um, so with our oldest, um, who is now 10, 10 and a half, um, we are starting to ex exhibit the preteen type of behavior, the I knows, uh-huhs, a lot of the uggs when she doesn't get what she wants and, and the attitudes like that. Um, you know, she's 10, she's getting to that age where she just really doesn't want to listen to mom and dad anymore. She feels like she knows the answer and, she, and she's just going to do what she wants, um, regardless of what you say. And that is a normal type of behavior at this time. But a lot of the times it rubs off on the other children. I mean, even down to our two-year-olds now, when they don't get what they want, they slump their shoulders, they say, ugh, and they walk away. Um, so it gets to the point where you have to not only understand, yes, it is that typical behavior, but you have to push it um, as a not acceptable behavior, even though it's, it's typical. Um, and it's something that's going to be there, um, but you also have to teach them that it's not acceptable behavior. Uh, the next one is our seven-year-old um, who generally wants to, quote-unquote, listen. So when you're talking to them and you're trying to teach them something, she'll listen, but she'll not always be paying attention. So again, at this age of seven, it's kind of typical um, response where if you're trying to teach them something, if you go past that um, threshold of attention span, they kind of zone out. Again, that's typical behavior. But sometimes people can see that as almost disrespectful as them not wanting to pay attention to you. Um, so we've we've seen that as as a problem. And sometimes we feel like we're or at least I may feel like that's not respectful. If I'm trying to talk to you, you need to try and pay attention. But again, it is a typical behavior for a seven year old. So we have to adjust on that. And there is there is a point, though, where. Uh, she has gotten to the point where now she tries to placate you um, to get you to stop talking. And that, on the other hand, is a little different than just uh, zoning out. Uh, she'll actually start saying things now to get you to think that she understands and she's okay with what you just said. Um, because she knows if she says th certain things, it'll sound like she's listening to you. So now we're trying to adjust to get her to actually repeat back to us. Um, so that she can't do that anymore. Um, so she now she's trying to do things, um, which is a, a disrespectful behavior, because now she's trying to uh, connive her way out of disciplinary actions um, or teaching actions in general. And our four-year-old uh, likes to scream and yell and run no matter how much we tell her to stop. Um, so this is just the, the, the basic. She is a four-year-old. Um, and sometimes she just wants to run and scream and yell, and it's not the most opportune time. Um, we understand this is kind of a normal thing for a four-year-old sometimes, but it's to the point where she does have to listen. We tell her not to. We tell her she needs to stop, and that and that is that. You are told you need to stop, and she doesn't listen. Um, so for the most part, that is where we just have to uh, put the hammer down, and she has to go to her room. Or we put the hammer down, and she loses out on something. Um, and, and we have to just really put it down. And for the most part, it's, it is starting to work where if we just tell her to stop now, she listens because we have those rules and she will listen finally. But we have to understand that the behavior itself is still very normal. Um, so like I said, all of these are normal scenarios. But what happens is when we do start talking to them 
about the behaviors and how we have to adjust um, what is going to be allowed within those areas. Um, that's when we start talking about the rules of how they're going to act and how they have to obey um, no matter how they feel. Um, they may want to do certain things. They may want to do certain things um, and say certain things, but they're just not allowed to. So how do we teach respect? Uh, so I've talked a lot about the how do we understand it? How do we understand our kids? How do we separate it? What are we experiencing? I kind of rambled a little bit here and there. So let's get to the point. How are we trying to teach respect? So as always, I, I, when I'm say teaching, I always want us to do one thing, and that is start at home. So one of the things I always try and do is I try and show their mother respect. I try and listen to her. I try and give her the benefit of the doubt. I try to um, make sure that when she's uh, making a decision, if I disagree with it, I'm not, you know, trying to knock it down. I'm, if, if there's something that I think we need to take in consideration, I bring that up, yes. But in every way, shape, and form, I try and show their mother the respect she deserves. And that is always for uh, in the forefront of my mind, is that their mother deserves the respect that she, she should be getting. And that's both for me and from them and from everybody else around us. And I make sure that she gets that. Um, next, I make sure uh, to respect them during our conversations. You know, if I'm trying to talk to one child and another child tries to butt in, um, I don't let that child butt in as best as possible. Uh, when I'm talking to their mother, same thing. You know, we don't let the child um, butt into the conversation. It's disrespectful. Um, also, uh, another thing is when you're speaking of others, make sure it's in a respectful way. You know, even if the person's not around, when you're speaking of people outside from outside of the house, you know, big example, politics, you know, we can be, you know, we can disagree on a politician. We can say we don't like a politician. We can not like their politics, but we should not be bad mouthing a politician in front of our children. I mean, we shouldn't be bad mouthing anybody because, you know, just because we disagree with somebody in any case, you know, doesn't mean we, we don't. Um, talk nicely about them, we can just not agree with them. And, you know, the worst thing we could do is in front of our kids be bad mouthing people because that just teaches them a very poor lesson about respect. So that, you know, those are the big things when at home teaching your kids about respect. Um, you you got to start there. Uh, the next thing is lay down the rules and repeat them often. Um, it's okay to speak to your kids about the rules, especially when they're not in trouble. Um, this will help them learn best because when they're in trouble, they tend to have a hard time listening because they're more worried about what am I going to lose or how much trouble am I in? So if you can try and talk to them about the rules when they're not in trouble, you know, it doesn't mean you have to have this big seminar on all the household rules every month or every six months, but you know, every once in a while, you got to make sure you reinforce some of the big rules of your house, you know, about the, the lying or the chores or the respecting each other or anything like that. You know, grace is okay when it's proper, um, but don't go the way of the lazy parent uh, when it comes to the rules either. You know, you know, and explain that to your children is, you know, sometimes we may let you not get away with it, but we may not go as harsh on you because we know you might be having a hard day, but make sure they understand that that's you just giving them grace and it's not a, a free pass and explain what that means to them in your own words. Um, so you want to make sure they understand that, that that's not you being inconsistent, but it's you responding um, in, in, a, in a consistent way because you understand that there are things about being a child that makes it difficult for them to always do the things that they're supposed to and they're still growing and learning and you want to make sure you have that that leeway when it comes to um, teaching them. And then the next part of the, the rules and, and laying down the rules and repeating them is you want to be consistent when responding to both manners and disrespect. Um, so this is the two sides of the coin. They can do a good job. They can do a bad job with how they behave. Um, you know, when kids are being uh, disrespectful, we're really quick to respond. But when they're being respectful and they're using their manners, do we usually respond 
or is it usually somebody out in public or a friend or a family that says, wow, your kids are being really respectful. You know, they're using their manners or, you know, something like that. And do we respond to our kids a lot when they do that? Generally not. Um, Very rarely have I seen or heard a parent talk about their kids and how great they're doing. They'll receive the compliment and they'll, they'll think of, you know, something, you know, short to say and thanks about it or, you know, yeah, they're not like that at home or, you know, I've heard a lot of comments that, you know, kind of knock down those um, type of compliments about children. But really, we got to make sure we also bolster those kinds of things about our kids to their face, because that will emphasize the fact that they are able and they are capable of being respectful, even without being prompted. Um, And that more we can do that, it'll more encourage them to do that. Um, I love it when we when we go out uh, to Red Robin, one of our very uh, favorite uh, family restaurants, family of seven, they have no problem seating us. And our kids will order and they are perfect with their manners pretty much every time. Thank you, please, all of that. And I am trying my best now whenever they do it to when we leave to really hone in on the fact that they use their manners and it was great. And I thank them for it because I really think it's it's more important to point that out than to have the, the hard discussion with them when they're being disrespectful. Uh, I think it, it really rings true for them and they learn more for it. So make sure you're more consistent in responding to both manners and the disrespect. Don't just hone in and harp on disrespect only, as especially as their parent. Um, finally, make sure everyone is following the respect rules. Um, and so this goes for all the children. So whether you know you have young children, um, you know, again, once they start learning the no's and that kind of stuff, all the way up to Anybody still living in your house or, or older, and and all the parents too, and and everybody that you have interacting with your children, try as best you can to make sure they're all following the same rules. Because you know, in like I said, in my case, the the uh, the ten and the seven and the four and the the twin two year olds, you know, I have to obviously interact with them all differently, um, or or me. And my wife, we have to interact with them and try and teach them all differently and, and get them to all uh, respect each other differently when they're interacting um, by their age. But we have to show each child that we're trying to get them all to respect each other. Because if, I, if I'm talking to my 10-year-old about respect, but I'm not also trying to make sure my 7-year-old is following the same rules, though I understand I have to treat the seven-year-old differently, the same way with the four-year-old, the same way with the two-year-olds. None of the, neither the 10-year-old or the seven-year-old or the four-year-old are going to take us, take me or my wife seriously when we're trying to teach them. So that's why it's very important that we, we are consistently trying to make sure everybody is following the same rules. Again, this is not a rule set for one or two or some of the children or just one of the children, nobody else, or not for the adults. This is something that is important for all of them because, again, this is what helps keep society working. And if it doesn't work for all of them, and if you're not applying it to all of them, none of them are going to hold true to it. They're going to think it's a it's a farce, and they're going to get angry with you, and they're going to push back against it, and it's going to be a complete failure of a, of, of a teaching. So you got to make sure you're trying to have everybody follow the same rules. Um, and again, not, you're not going to be perfect in getting every child to do the exact same thing throughout the exact same age bracket, but you have to at least show the effort in trying to get every child to do it. And yes, explaining to the 10-year-old that the 7-year-old is a 7-year-old and they're not going to understand as much as the 10-year-old is okay. And even telling the 10-year-old that, listen, you're only 10, you're still learning it yourself. That's okay, but you you still got to do it. You still got to tell them that you're you're dealing with them at one area. You're dealing with the seven year old at another area. You're dealing with the four year old at another area, or or even if you're only dealing with one kid, you're like, listen, my job is to help teach you. I can't worry about the other kids that you deal with at school. That's their parents' job, you know. So I want you to do what you have to do 
so that we know you're doing what's right. You know, so these are these are the kinds of things that we have to try and make sure we're instilling in our children, whether you have one, uh, three, five, like I know some people with six, you know, you got to make sure you're trying to get everyone that's lining up under you as daddy duck or mommy duck um, falling, falling into this area of respect um, to make sure that their lives are as best as possible. Um, so again, this is the whole teaching respect portion. And I really think it's important that um, to the point where, again, I wanted to bring it back. And I hope that we can uh, continue to uh, advance our children in this teaching. Uh, it gets, I know it only gets harder as they get older. And, and I hope we can um, help guide our children forward in this to, to be you know, productive adults um, where respect is a, just a natural flowing out for them, no matter who they interact with, whether they agree or disagree with them, they can still show them respect um, in a conversation and, and in interaction. Um, so I hope well, one of the key things that I want to leave you with is this, to remember that a child will listen when you speak. So speak in a way you want to them to emulate because they will. So I want to pray that you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please subscribe and share. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, email, my website, DIY Data 5. And as of yesterday, I'm now back on Facebook solely for the purpose of interacting with the two communities of DIYers and dads, um, or really anybody who wants to talk uh, more in depth about the content of this show. Um, so you, you're going to be able to find the link um, to that Facebook page. I'm just using my uh, personal page of my own for that content of this only. Um, I have a little blurb on there if you want to read that kind of for the rules. Again, I'm on Facebook. So you can find me on there. Also, like usually, you can find my podcast on pretty much any app by searching DIY Data 5. Thank you, and remember to keep taking your attempts, and I will see you in two weeks.